You are listening to the Happier at Work podcast, and I'm your host, Aoife O'Brien. This is the podcast for HR and business leaders. We talk about things like leadership, well-being at work, diversity and inclusion, and the future of work. It's so important in building trust, you know, that I understand clearly what's expected of me, and I've communicated my ability to meet those expectations. So we're co-creating where we're going, um, and that creates that, that structure that's fundamental to building the trust within a manager-employee relationship. I met today's guests at an online event quite a number of months ago now, and I enjoyed so much what she had to say that I just had to get her on the podcast because I think you will really enjoy this concept as well. Jennifer Dowling is a chartered work and organizational psychologist and director of Train Remote. She specializes in the area of remote, flexible and hybrid working. She has a strong background in people development, psychometrics, selection, training and coaching. She has worked with many organizations on the transition to remote working and specializes in training, coaching and team development for managers and teams transitioning to more agile and flexible working. She is a qualified in a number of psychometric tools and an experienced trainer, facilitator and coach. She is fueled by curiosity, same as myself, primarily in people and what makes us tick, makes us different and what contributes to making us the best version of ourselves. And it's no doubt why myself and Jennifer got on so well during this conversation. I was so intrigued by everything she had to say. We started by looking at things like time and our perception of time. At least that's that's the the premise for the entire podcast. But we veer into lots and lots of different areas, which I think will be really, really useful for you. So I do hope you enjoy today's podcast. Don't forget to connect with me on LinkedIn, share your thoughts on social media. And I would love to know what you do differently. And also stick around for the end of the podcast where I will wrap up the key points that were made during the podcast as well. Welcome, Jennifer, to the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. I saw you speaking at a Kinch Lions event a few months ago. So this podcast episode recording has been a long time in waiting. And the topic at that time you were talking about was time. And it just was a game changer, a real eye opener for me. I loved what you shared. Can you give people a little bit of a flavour of your background and how you got to where you are? Yeah, of course. Haifa. Uh, lovely to be here today and thank you for having me. Um, I suppose my my background is I'm a, a work and organizational psychologist. Um, I have a company called Train Remote. Um, from a, a research and practice perspective, my, my area of research and work has been around agile, flexible and remote working for a couple of years. Um, so looking at that from a research perspective and then also working with organizations, teams and managers in transitioning to more remote, agile and hybrid working. Um, obviously, the last 15 months, we've been doing an awful lot of that and and, and observing an awful lot of changes in, in the workplaces. Um, I suppose as a, as a psychologist, my, my interest in, in work is, you know, I suppose fundamentally that we all have to work. Um, it's, it's part of our, our, our kind of our day to day and really just trying to understand how can we do that better. And, and so the, the Happier at Work podcast is very much in line yeah. with my own values and I'm trying yeah. to understand what makes work better and more meaningful for people. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I was going to say really interestingly that you're kind of saying we have to work. And I suppose for me, I see that at, on two sides. So like we're not born into luxury where we can just live off the fat of the land, as they say, like you have to work to earn a living to be able to sustain yourself. But the other side is from maybe from an identity or from a meaning and purpose perspective that we feel this compulsion to give something back to the world, to be in service to other people or something like that. That's just a complete aside from uh, from everything. But I, I love this idea. And maybe we start with this idea of the the flexible working the hybrid model and that is kind of the future of work, the the flexibility around that before moving on to this idea of time. Like I'm just I was so blown away by by the discussion and by by your presentation on that that day. So maybe let's have a think about like remote working, flexibility. 
and COVID. What a huge topic. Yeah. <laughs> what a 15 you know, that, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I suppose from my perspective, I've been looking at this for six or seven years now. It was a research interest of mine, you know, going back a, a long time. And it fundamentally stemmed from the question of, you know, yeah, what motivates us? What can make work better? Um, how does autonomy impact people? You know, how does that increase sense of flexibility, that increased perception of control over our time or our lives? How does that impact us from a well-being perspective? And, and from a research point of view, there's lots of research there to support the impact of autonomy on people's well-being. So, so from that perspective, I became an advocate of, of remote working early on. Um, and I actually, interestingly, I started remote working myself about, about six years ago. Um, and I was working with a great team. I had great flexibility. I would be on site with clients maybe every, every week or every second week. Um, but the rest of the time, I would work remotely from my home in Killarney. Um, but after a few months, I realized that I, I hated it, you know, which was really difficult for me because this was something that you know I, I had done research on and you know this was good this was a good yeah. way to go um, and, and it was so interesting for me to, to think about that then I remember sitting down with a colleague of mine who was a psychologist also and I was explaining to her you know I said I think I'm going to have to pack this in I'm going to have to get a different job and, and, and she said to me do you know do you think maybe it's the lack of interaction with other people I thought, thought about it and I thought, yeah, that is what it is. You know, I had gone from a really interactive environment to working for long periods of time on my own. Um, and, and it was so interesting. Um, I had to realize, you know, I am firmly on the extroverted side of the scale. I really enjoy interacting and social connection is important for me. Um, so I had to learn how to manage that. So I had to learn, you know, that I had to maybe work in a coffee shop. I had to meet people after work. I had to maybe, you know, um, I actually ended up opening a co-working space in the town where I live and, and I work and, and, and live with lots of you know um, people in, in, in the community now which is great um, but what it made me realise about remote working which I think has really helped me over the last couple of months in supporting other people is that we all have individual differences in terms of how we approach work um, and, and just because I might have a preference for interaction with other people it doesn't mean I can't be an effective remote worker but the key to me being effective in that is my own self-awareness yeah, so it's understanding what I need from work, what supports me in working well or not working well, um, and how do I manage that for myself? So, so for me, there's been a big piece over the last 15 months in, in trying to work with individuals, with managers, in, in, in kind of developing their own self-awareness around how they work best and how remote work can fit that for them and how they can manage themselves in, in the environment that they've now been thrust into, but um, potentially longer term in remote and hybrid working as well. Yeah, I absolutely love that. Um, a few points that I want to pick up on, this idea of autonomy, that, that formed a huge part of the research that I did for my master's dissertation last year in terms of driving this sense of fit. Autonomy was like the key need that needs to be satisfied at work. And that uh, one of the specific examples that I drew upon from a previous research that was done is this idea of, um, uh, what did they call it? They had a nice fancy academic word for it. Um, I was going to say time mobility or something like that, but it was um, it was something to do with uh, choosing your own work hours, essentially, mm -hmm. and a nice academic way of saying that. But um, th th that was obviously all uh, that research was carried out pre-COVID and, and I didn't specifically include the COVID side of things. However, I did carry out my research when people were working remotely. The, the other thing that I really liked about what you said is this idea of self-awareness. Like I think self-awareness is really key and for each individual person to take responsibility for themselves. So like personal responsibility to understand themselves and how they work best. And this idea of individual differences and that you noticed in yourself that there is that lack of interaction and how to overcome that. And, and obviously with COVID, it's, it's a it's not real remote working because we can't have that. Oh, I'll meet a friend for a coffee after work or, I'll, you know, there's none. There's none of that, that kind of social side of things as well that you could get out in the middle of the day, for example, and have that freedom and flexibility. Um, so really, really interesting. I'd love to dive more into this idea of the individual differences between how how people, you know, what makes people different or have you noticed any trends and maybe we can talk a little bit about how how to manage that and and like 
I gather, and this is all anecdotal, you know, from what I read in the press, from what I can see through LinkedIn, from working with clients, that the future is going to be this hybrid approach to work. And I don't think you're, I don't think anyone can doubt that that's going to be the case. And and if there's companies who are not offering at least some sort of a hybrid approach, that, that, that that's not like they're going to lose their staff, essentially, you know, their staff are just going to be like, OK, I can go somewhere else where I can have that. And and so it's going to be a given, basically, I suppose, mm-hmm. is what I'm trying to trying to say. But any thoughts then on the individual differences and what, you know, what makes people different or, or any trends that you might have noticed? A couple of things there in what you said, and, and I think you're so right. I think what we're experiencing now is not remote working as I would have known it or, you know, transition people into pre-COVID. This is something very different. Um, but I think in it, we've also got a taste and I know all the data is showing us a taste of the the potential that, that hybrid and remote working mm. can offer us going forward. So there's, yeah. there's an appetite now. And I, and I think you're right. I think if companies don't reflect that and, 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 recognize that we lose talent and, and I think that's you know we, we've kind of we can we can see that from the data that's coming out um, but I think in in remote or hybrid going forward we, we've had an opportunity over the last 15 months to get an insight into our own individual differences and we've probably all noticed things about our own personality over the last couple of months and even even that we've been compounded with with the challenges of, of the pandemic even in our ways of working we've probably noticed things about ourselves and and I think it's about continuing that observation of ourselves. You know, it's continuing to notice what are the things that I enjoyed about remote working? What are the things I found difficult? Um, what are the things that it gave me an opportunity to do? You know, I've had lots of people um, talk about, you know, being able to focus a little bit more, um, maybe being able to get a little bit more balance. Um, and obviously there's, there's been the other side of that too for people in, in, in having significant challenges. But the things that I think contribute to individual differences are, are things like our personality, things like our values. So our values will determine what we prioritize and that will determine how we spend our time. Um, and also things like our experience and our efficacy, you know, the degree to which we feel we're good at certain things. Um, and, and I think for organizations and, and particularly for managers, and that's the cohort that I probably work with the most, it's about helping employees to, to build their own self-awareness. And then, so it's like giving them the keys for self-management, but then also, you know, allowing them to use those keys by trusting them. You know, it's, it's really about enabling people and empowering people to build their confidence in their own ability to self-manage. And, and I think that that's, that's a role that, that managers um, are playing now and, and can continue to play post, post-pandemic. And do you think in large parts that organisations are giving that trust to managers? And, and I'll and kind of preclude this question maybe with the, you know, and, and again, this is maybe uh, a little bit of hype from the press, but saying things like, oh, well, managers want people to be on Zoom calls all day or they want to leave their Zoom on so that they can monitor what they're doing and, and things like that. In your experience, well, I suppose the, the first part being, do organisations largely trust their staff or their managers to manage what's going on? And maybe the second part to that is, um, you know, do, can managers do that? Can they self-manage or have you noticed maybe a difference between managers who are really strong in maybe in a in a office environment um, and they continue to be strong in a remote environment or the the opposite or if they're not great managers to begin with are they the ones who are more likely to suffer than um, with remote working mm-hmm. sorry there's lo- I just realized there's like tons of questions in there but hopefully you can <laughs> That's great. It's a great question. And I sometimes think we make the mistake of talking about managers as a homogenous cohort, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think as much as, you know, individual employees are raising their own self-awareness and developing their own self-management skills, so do we have to look at managers as also having significant individual differences too, you know? Uh, and if we think about things like trust, which I think is such a such a humongous topic now, yeah. and one every organization needs to be talking about in a really, um, in a real way, um, you know, there are individual differences in our propensity to trust. So some people find it easier to trust than other people. You know, um, some people's experiences have been negative in relation to trust, so they find it more challenging. And, and sometimes we have low trust with the organization as a whole as a manager, and that that impacts our ability to, to, to give that trust to employees as well. So, so I think that th- those nuances are really important. And I think it's about having the conversations around trust and 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 
you know, um, I suppose encouraging managers to self-reflect on their own propensity to trust and, yeah. and understanding that that their trust profile has to be very intentional. Now, we have to be intentional about how we communicate trust to people um, and also how we gain and earn and keep other people's trust as well. That there's a two-way street in trust. You know, it's not just who we decide to trust, it's who trusts us and why. And both of those questions, I think, um, require a little bit of thought and, and consideration. Yeah, love that. Absolutely. I mean, nail on the head, really. It is the individual differences and it is. I would personally would love to understand more about this propensity to trust. And then the, what you're talking about, about the, the trust profile, like how how do we actually communicate to people that we trust them? You know, is it a given or do we need to explicitly say I am entrusting you with this or I trust you to do that? Um, and how we actually earn trust from our, whether it's from our direct reports or from our colleagues, how do we show them that we are trustworthy people? Love that. And, and definitely something that... Um, that that's worth kind of diving into and or at least from from a research perspective i would love to understand more about that and from a practical perspective like how do we actually make that reality in work and interestingly the um so by the time this podcast is re- is released the podcast in the prior week will be all about psychological safety and it's a topic that has come up on several podcasts recently, um, either as the main topic or as kind of an under theme of something that's really crucially important. And what you were talking about there, Jennifer, in relation to being able to have those conversations, like the underpinning of that is fostering an environment or a culture of psychological safety where people feel free to actually speak their minds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think invested in the outcome too. You know, I think like understanding that by doing this, we will be better managers. We'll increase our propensity to, fle- to be flexible. We'll help fundamentally, you know, going back to our mission, Eva, fundamentally will help people thrive better at work. You know? yeah. so I think if we understand the why uh, and we create an environment that's psychologically safe, then I think we can have those, those discussions. Um, but from a, a research perspective, anybody interested in looking at, at the whole area of trust, there's a great article by Paul Zak called The Neuroscience of Trust. I don't know if you've come across it. Um, so he looked at trust in lots of different organizations. He looked at the kind of behaviors that foster trust. Um, and also then Stephen Covey has written a great book called The Speed of Trust and where he looks at you know, how do we build trustworthiness. Um, so so, so those, those two sides of the, the coin. Um, might be resources that are, are interested. I'm adding those to my list right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, but no, I love that invested in the outcome. So essentially that the the managers or the employees have buy in into like there is a reason we're doing this. This is not a box ticking exercise. There is going to be a positive outcome for me as an individual by investing my time in doing in doing this. Um, and, I, and I know like I suppose the reason that we are having this conversation at all is because of this concept of time. And I did want to spend a bit of time talking about remote work and maybe we can tie that in together with remote working and and what you've seen. Because for me, and, and, and I think you agree as well, this the idea of time is kind of foundational to everything that we do. So whether it's um, starting and ending meetings on time being a very practical example, but our relationship with time, how we perceive time and all of that, like it just, as I mentioned, when I heard you speaking about that at the Kinch Lions event, I was, ju- my mind was just blown. I was like, this is, this is like the answer to everything, you know? So I'd love to get your thoughts on that. And, and you mentioned before we started recording that with the transition, let's say, to overnight transition to remote working, some people handled it really well and other people maybe not so well. And it could be down to time. And and yeah, so I think maybe any insights that you have to share and that would be really, really great to hear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard to, to know where to start, but I suppose just on your last point there in terms of how people handled it differently. Um, and I think this feeds into the, the time conversation. Um, there's some really interesting um, research done around people's um, capacity to, to manage control. So our, our capacity to manage the amount of control that we're given. So is, is so our ability to, to manage our time is 
um, congruent on our capacity to manage the, the, the amount of control that we're being given. So if I'm given full autonomy, but I don't have the tools to self-manage within that, that's actually overwhelming and it can cause much more stress for people than actually the positives that we're looking for from it. So again, I think um, that relates to time too. When we have full-time autonomy, unless we have the tools to, to kind of understand it and manage it, it can be very, it can be very challenging. Um, and I suppose I, I got interested in time from a personal perspective um, at a time when I was I was doing a master's. I had two jobs. I had found out that I was a pregnant, a pregnant, so I had a baby on the way. And we were, you know, doing a, a lot of projects kind of ongoing at the time. And the question was, how do some people just seem to manage time so well? And why is it challenging for other people? So I became really interested then in, in the differences in time and individual differences in time. Um, and I started looking at this idea of perceived control of time um, and the impact that that had on, on well-being. And, and, and so my... I did a dissertation at the time around kind of perceived control of time and its impact um, on our well-being and, and how it related to flexible working then. Um, and what was really apparent from that was the individual differences in our perceptions of control of time and some of the things that started to, you know, um, come out as being things that impacted our, our, our perceived control of time. Um, and some of these things included, you know, very simple things. And when we think about them, probably quite obvious, but things like optimism, you know, so, so people who have high levels of optimism sometimes can overestimate the amount of time that they have to do things or, or the amount that they can get done within the time that they have. Um, and that can really impact our ability to manage our time well. Um, so developing things like, you know, our temporal awareness and, and temporal awareness is effectively kind of our ability to estimate how long things take to do. Um, and when we're very optimistic, sometimes our temporal awareness can actually be quite low. We're not accurately estimating how long things will take us to do. Um, so it can be really interesting to start developing our temporal awareness. So how do we start increasing our temporal awareness? And, and some of that can be, you know, trying to be more objective about how long things take to do. Or, or in my case, what, what I started doing was just recording regularly how long regular tasks were taking me to do. You know, um, so how long was it taking me to, to prepare a report or to, to write up a paper or to prepare for a session? Or, and just to start getting a more objective and accurate estimation of that. So I could change the feedback loop. So rather than saying, ah, oh, that'll just take me half an hour. No, I had data that told me <laughs> that in general, this takes me, you know, three hours or two hours. So I could more accurately then plan my time. Um, yeah, so that, that might, yeah. Oh, no, such an interesting point. And you, like when you said optimism, I was like, oh, I'm quite optimistic. Oh, that's a positive trait. And then you're saying, well, if, actually, if you're optimistic, maybe you underestimate the amount of time that something is going to take. And I know before we started recording, I was talking about a couple of different examples from my own life where I think when something weighs heavily, like when there's that mental load associated with something that you have to do that's on your to-do list and like the, it's maybe the emotion that goes with it, the perception always is that it's taking up that mental, it's taking up that headspace and you think, oh, that's going to take me four hours. And when you actually sit down to do it, it only takes 15 minutes. And maybe that is related to this idea of the optimism and pessimism or it's something that you really don't want to do. You've been putting on the long finger. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't want to get around to finally doing it. But when you do, actually it takes much less time than you thought. Mm -hmm. it, and are those two things related, I suppose, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. Yeah, and I think you know, I think that point about optimism is 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 really interesting because also I would have you know considered myself a, a, an optimist, and and as I kind of read more and thought more about this, I came around more to you know, Seligman's idea of kind of realistic optimism. Yeah, know, yeah. The difference in those in, in terms of kind of impact. Um, so, so I think that idea of realistic optimism is really important, and also I think your point around emotions, and we all know this: emotions impact our decision making, they impact our perceptions of things, they'll impact our perception of time as well you know so when we're in certain states things seem like a bigger task than a smaller task when we're in more positive states they seem more manageable maybe too manageable more so than they actually are you know so so again absolutely emotion plays into into that too. so it's kind of like that could then come into saying yes to things when you think you've got an abundance of time but actually you don't really have that much time to complete it and I think like this like this entire conversation I think boils down to like it's the fun fundamental nature of how if we bring it back to work specifically of how we actually get work done is knowing what needs to be done and I mean I suppose first of all it's focusing on and and I 
I'm a huge believer in this idea of outcomes versus input. So oftentimes people will be like, and I work nine to five and, you know, that's your hours, that's your input. And even if you're sitting at your desk and you're not really that busy, um, you're not really doing much, you're not contributing much more because, but you just want to be seen to be busy, like this idea of presenteeism. And I know certainly I've heard people talking about like, oh, well, I took an extra hour there, so I need to make that up somewhere else. Or I worked two hours extra on Wednesday, so I'll knock off two hours early on a Friday, which really defeats the entire purpose of flexible working. It should be about what outcomes are we trying to achieve as an organisation, as a team, as an individual and focusing our time around those. So first of all, knowing what those are. But secondly, how long do you like what tasks do I need to do that are associated like tasks? I'm using that as a kind of a general term. But what is it that I need to do in order to deliver on those outcomes? And how long are those things actually going to take, objectively speaking? And how can I measure that? Um, So like, yeah, I think the entire point of what I'm trying to say is that time is fundamental. And so if we're trying to get from a, 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 and it it maybe ties in with this idea of being self-aware. So if we are trying to drive self-awareness around time, where do we, where do we begin? I think, and if we're talking about this in relation to work, um, and and if we just roll it back a small bit to what you were talking about, about, you know, outputs and, and objectives. And, um, and I think that's the fundamental shift that, that that's happening at management level is that Great. we stop equating, you know, presenteeism with performance and we start equating, um, you know, output with performance. And that, yeah. that, that, that shift is, is fundamental to, to remote working well or flexible working, working well. Um, but in that it's about, there's two pieces to that actually. I think it's about from a manager level being able to, clarify expectations, being able to communicate them very clearly, but also at an individual level, being able to objectively assess the time you have and the capability you have to meet those objectives, you know, and being able to have that clear, open conversation around the manageability of objectives that are being set out. Um, and I don't know if that makes that, that makes sense, but it's it's that individual self-awareness around my time, what I can manage, the outputs that I can deliver on, and then a realistic conversation, you know, around what can be achieved and, and, and how and when. And, and I think that's that that's really important. And actually coming back to our conversation around trust, that's so important in building trust, you know, that I understand clearly what's expected of me and I've communicated my ability to meet those expectations. So we're co-creating where we're going. Um, and that creates that that structure that's fundamental to building the trust within, you know, a, a manager-employee relationship. Yeah, like it is like it, not only is it important for building trust, but I think again to to roll it back even is creating that psychologically safe environment where I feel okay to say actually I don't have the capacity right now to meet those objectives. Um, interestingly, in most of the, if, if I cast my mind back to my corporate career, most of my roles were not really dictated. Like my, my time was not dictated by my managers. I was managing clients. Uh, so it may be a slightly different approach. It wasn't as if my manager was saying, okay, so here's your objectives and, and here's the tasks that you need to do. It was more, an overarching picture of we're trying to drive client satisfaction. There is some contracted agreements that we need to deliver X, Y, Z presentations to the clients that we need to be on site with them and and things like that. And and so it was therefore up to me to manage my time and to manage the clients. And obviously the client relationship is going to be slightly different to a manager relationship as well. So it's kind of a couple of things to unpack there, maybe like that the you might find it easier to have that conversation with the manager versus having that conversation with the client. But very early on in my career, I learned the importance of saying no to clients and setting clear boundaries around that. And I think I, I wasn't aware that other people didn't have that awareness as my career progressed and I moved to different companies. And what I found was my cli- my colleagues were saying yes to things when actually they didn't really have the capacity to take on the additional work. And so therefore they're working longer hours rather than setting clear boundaries, um, which is which is quite interesting in itself. I mean, clarifying what is expected of someone at work and what they are meant to deliver, I think is, again, similar to time, is very fundamental to actually. And 
how many people know what is expected of them at work or what good looks like, you know, and without being unfairly compared to someone else in a very abstract way. Oh, she just does the job better than you do or Mm -hmm. whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. Um, But then being able to assess your own time and your own abilities or capabilities to deliver on the objectives that have been set out. Now, I think I've I've just kind of reiterated a lot of what you said, but I, I love that it's it's a really practical thing. So if there's someone listening today and they are a manager, for example, like maybe it, the first step for them is thinking about how clear are the expectations and have they checked with their with their um, colleagues, with their employees, whether or not the expectations are clear for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think the second step, and I think communication is just so important and we, we know that and, and where we you know for example as you were talking about colleagues taking on stuff that they can't actually do all we're doing there is is we're leading to a point where we undermine trust because we can't be consistent and we can't deliver it so you know it's it's fundamentally that communication and again it comes back to things like personality for you know like some people are more comfortable pushing back than other people you know some people want to please and they find it more difficult so you know becoming aware of that in yourself and understanding how that's getting in your way is really really um, really, really important. Um, and we were talking there, I've lost my train of thought now, if we were talking about um, communicating expectations and that, that communication piece. And you, were, you were saying yeah, that, sorry. yeah, the second step and, yeah. and that's, um, that's maybe for the individual to have that open conversation or for the manager to create that space for them to say if they can't handle what's going on. Yeah, I think the second step, you know, there's a second step there from manager's perspective is to start to recognize those individual differences on our team. Okay, yeah. So starting yeah. to recognize who on my team struggles with time, for example, who on my team struggles to push back because they, they, they like to, you know, make sure everyone's okay or they like to appease or, you know, so what are those individual differences on my team and how can I coach and support people to kind of become more aware of those things? So that they're, they're, they'll be more effective and they'll be able to, to, to thrive to a better extent in, in work as yeah. well. So I think it's about noticing those nuances and helping people to, to kind of come well yeah. over from If you'd like to know more about what I can do for your business, please head over to my website, happieratwork.ie, where I have more details on the services that I offer. I offer various different types of things for organizations like yours. I offer speaking, coaching, consulting, with a huge focus on data and analytics and how to use data to make better people decisions. I have a couple of ongoing public projects at the moment in relation to researching employee well-being, first-time managers, and I will be making those results publicly available as well. So if you would like to get access to that, head on over to my website. I have a couple of questions based on that. And, and, and um the, the first one really is around like what, how can you notice that, like what are the kind of telltale signs, let's say, if someone isn't upfront and honest with you about what's going on, how can you maybe tell without mm-hmm. someone directly saying, is there a way to do that? I think there's really good conversations you can have. Things like, you know, you know, how do you like to communicate? How do you like to get feedback? For me as a manager, what's the best way for me to give you instruction? You know, do you like a lot of detail? Do you like the broad strokes? So we're starting to ask those questions that will give mm-hmm. us insight on each person and we're slowly building a picture. Um, and obviously, I mean, there's tools we can use as well. There's different inventories, there's different, you know, the Hogan, the MBTI, the EQI. We can use all these tools if we want to with our teams as well to raise that collective awareness. And, and I I think there's that can be really useful on teams because I think having that self-awareness is only as good as how well we're able to communicate it to other people you know so it's all well and good for me to know that I like to work a certain way but that's only half the battle if I can communicate that to other people then they can work more effectively with me so it's about facilitating those those larger conversations as well yeah and when it comes to let's let's kind of think about time specifically when it comes to time specifically are there any any things to watch out for from a manager's perspective and then maybe from an individual's perspective, what are the kinds of things to consider? Like maybe I'm thinking more of a what are the um, what are the different 
things to be aware of or, or the ways to measure how we approach time. Maybe there's there's two or three different, like there's the, the awareness of how long things take, but like what are the things on both sides to watch out for? Mm, yeah, so I think there's there's that awareness piece. There's also a piece around efficacy. So a lot of research is done to show that, you know, if we've always told ourselves that we're terrible at time or I'm a terrible time manager, we reinforce that narrative that yeah. translates into poor time management behavior. So again, you know, if we start noticing that in, as, you know, as a manager and other people as well, then maybe we just start questioning it, you know, and maybe saying, well, actually, you know, you know, what counters that, you know, and, and even for ourselves that we stop and, and question that narrative, yeah. is that actually true, you know? But it also becomes maybe an excuse that you, that you keep delivering and saying, oh, I'm a really terrible time manager or I'm always late. And it's like, okay, well, that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and it becomes an excuse. It's like, just set your time 10 minutes earlier if you're always going to be late, you know, take responsibility for it and stop using that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And and sometimes we can, um, you know, encourage that narrative in other people too. You know, we can have like, you know, the family who, who say to the one sibling, well, you're always late for everything. And, you know, yeah. and we start reinforcing that, that, that narrative. So it's really important that we, you know, when people feed that narrative back to us, that maybe we say, actually, you know, <laughs> maybe that's not true anymore. Maybe yeah, I'm, I'm working on, on it now and I'm actually getting much better at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on it. It's this, <laughs> this idea of the self-limiting beliefs versus the empowering beliefs beliefs and, and flipping the script on what it is that you tell yourself or, or what you listen to from other people as well. Absolutely, absolutely. So we have efficacy and then would it be um, awareness would be another one or like, I suppose if someone is a good time manager, like what are the qualities that are associated with that? Hmm. I suppose it's different for everybody because different things will work for everyone in terms of how they manage their time. We have different preferences in terms of how we like to schedule, how we like to organise our time. You know, um, some people love lists. Some people like, you know, like to really have clear priorities. It's different for for everybody. Um, I think, you know, if people are interested in in looking at this more and um, there's some really interesting research by Zimbardo that we've talked about before, which looks at different perspectives that people can have, which actually, you know, can can contribute to raising our awareness and, and this, some of you might be familiar with Philip Zimbardo. He did some work around kind of um, heroism and evil, and he's given some really interesting TED Talks around that. Um, but he shifted his research over the last couple of years to this whole idea of time and individual differences in time. And, and he looks at time perspectives so people can have this past, fres- present or future time perspective um, and how, you know, informing our decisions based on being, you know, future focused. You know, so I'm always thinking about what's coming or being past focused. I'm always thinking about, you know, what's maybe happened to me in the past and how that's impacted where I am right now or being present focused, you know, how those frames um, can actually impact our decision making and the way in which we plan and organise. So yeah, can be and definitely. Yeah. And, and after after watching you at, at that event, I went out and I, 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 uh, I read Zimbardo's book and it was really eye opening, I think, in terms of looking at that perspective. And it explains a lot about how people approach and it does explain that individual difference. So like if you have, for example, a a past perspective, maybe you're dwelling too much on the past and you could, that can be positive or negative. So you're you're dwelling, you're kind of looking back in a nostalgic way, saying, oh, things were better previously. If you're too future focused, maybe you're not giving enough time to the present and you're kind of saving money for a rainy day or working towards a goal rather than enjoying the present moment and things like that. And sometimes when you're too busy enjoying the present moment, you're not really thinking about the future. So um, I thought that like from that perspective, I think it's it's a really interesting way to think about time and our relationship with time. And actually, anybody who's interested in just getting a, a summary of that book, um, Zimbardo did a, a Google talk. Uh, which is easy to find. Um, you might be able to link it in, which which kind of summarizes their findings from that book, and it makes it quite accessible to kind of to understand the, the the theory behind the research. Yeah, yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, definitely put those in the show notes, and I think, like, I didn't think the. Uh, the book was incredibly written. I think I learned a lot more from you during the, during the talk that you gave rather than from the book. Like it was just interesting to have that different perspective then on like how we focus things. And I suppose bringing it back to the workplace, what does this mean? Like what can people do in a remote working environment to better understand themselves and how they work? I- 
to be honest with you, this is one of the things that I think is most exciting and interesting about remote work because I think it creates, um, remote working in general, creates a greater space between stimulus and response. Okay, so if you think back to, I don't know if anybody's read Man's Search for Meaning and Victor Frankl's quote, yes, you know, yeah. between stimulus and response, there's our space and, and that's our, our freedom and our growth. But, you know, it's something happens. We have a little bit of time to observe ourselves and to think about our reactions and our responses before we have to respond in the remote context. Whereas sometimes when we're in a busy office environment and we're constantly presented with stimulus and questions and people, you know, we don't have the same or can be harder to create that same level of space between what's happening, how we're feeling about it and how we react. Whereas I think remote offers us an opportunity to be observers of that space a little bit more, you know, to have things happen and to just take a step back and observe our own reactions to it, our own preferences around it, um, and to also be empathic about potentially where those, you know, those challenges or or questions or things might be coming from, you know, in considering our our response. So so for, for me, I think if I was to say anything going forward in remote and hybrid is just continue to take that space, you know, continue to observe ourselves. Um, We are by no means finished products and, you know, we're constantly changing and iterating and that in itself is interesting, you know. Um, So we're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to define ourselves. We can notice things about ourselves that will inform the decisions that we can make around, around how we work and how we work most effectively. Yeah. And I'm I'm so fascinated by this idea and it, it you know, it's maybe it's thinking about performance and how to reach that level of optimal performance by understanding ourselves and, and how we actually work. Any any additional thoughts on, on what we could potentially consider if we're trying to raise our own self-awareness? Yeah, I mean, one thing, one practice that's very simple, and I'm sure you've had other people recommend this before, um, but it's just that reflective practice, that oh, reflective yeah, journey. Yeah. You yeah. know, and particularly at the moment, because we're doing something new and we're going to be going through a period now of more change, it's, it's, it's a time when we can observe things in ourselves. So just at the end of the day, even something simple like, you know, what gave me energy today? What drained my energy? You yeah. know, that can be so interesting to do for a couple of weeks. And, yeah. and looking at that then and reflecting back on that over a couple of weeks, we can get really good insights into the kind of things that give us energy in our work and the kind of things that drain and how we can manage those um, on a day-to-day basis. Then. Yeah, yeah. And it comes back to this idea, like to kind of almost bring it full circle, this idea of time. And if you're working on something that drains your energy, it probably feels like it's taken a lot longer than something that actually is quite energising. Time tends to move a bit more quickly. Um, so I really like that idea. And interestingly, that's something I recommend quite often is this reflective practice like anytime I speak about anything it's like you need to take that time to actually reflect exactly something like what gave me energy or what went well today versus what how could I improve or what could I do differently if I had the day again and over time exactly as you say it kind of builds up and you're like what am I learning from this like what is this trying to teach me I'm, I'm repeating the same patterns but actually I'm so I'm saying I need to change but I'm not changing okay well what is what's kind of going on there I think we're, we're probably getting quite deep now but I think it is it's really important and that's to understand ourselves and a key way to do that is to actually reflect reflect on that yeah and the reflection can be can be difficult for some people you know again for some people making the time to prioritize that can be difficult but even something that i i've noticed with a couple of people i've worked with is, is just having triggers in your environment that that make you check in with yourself so so for example i talk a lot about energy because i think it's a huge um, huge source of insight into ourselves actually you know things that give us energy and drain our energy give us a real insight into our own preferences um, but I know I have a client I was talking to recently and she also is you know quite interested in this energy piece and what she started doing is putting a battery on her desk so it's just a physical reminder for her she sees the battery during the day mm-hmm. and she checks in with her own battery where is it at am I you know low now am I mid am I high and then sometimes I feel like when we're so connected now you know we connect in at seven o'clock in the morning for some people we don't connect out till the end of the evening there's that real disconnect between our bodies and our and what yeah. we're doing on screen so so just having those physical triggers around one thing I use is a, as a, a mood map um, and it just sits on my wall and, and I'll check in with it during the day and um, and it'll just you know where am I at am I feeling a bit frustrated am I feeling good am I feeling but again it just reminds me to check in with myself and those kind of things I think can be can be really useful um there's there's an app the mood meter app i don't know if you've come across that the same idea it just makes you check in with yourself during the day you know where's what's my emotional state at right now yeah. and then that quest next question is why you know 
you know, frustrated. Okay, where did that come from? Okay, that's interesting. And we don't have to judge. And I think that's so important. This it's not don't come at this in place of judgment, yeah. just in place of curiosity and observation. And and that's that's really powerful, I think, when we can do that regularly. It's hard not to judge, I think, especially when it comes to ourselves. But exactly as you say, it's about that observation. Now I love this and like like hugely beneficial, especially as you say I think if we can relate this back to everything and tie every, tie it together kind of with everything that we've been talking about in relation to time, in relation to remote working or the new going forward hybrid working model and the importance of checking in with ourselves, focusing on the outcomes rather than the inputs, the input being time and I think energy as well. And if something feels like it's really hard to do and if you've been all day in meetings, for example, and it's energetically draining, then you perceive that actually you've done a lot more work than what you actually have. Um, You haven't necessarily delivered on those outcomes. So I think rather than focusing on those inputs of time and energy, we focus on the outcomes of uh, what is it that we're trying to achieve here? You know, what what does moving the dial in this business actually look like? Um, And you know, kind of wrapping it all up with this idea of understanding ourselves, raising our self-awareness through reflective practice. I think that would be a kind of a fair summary of everything that we've spoken about today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think like my mantra for the last couple of months and, and, and going forward continues to be, you know, like aim for progress, not perfection. You oh, know, yeah, we're not, yeah. We don't have to be perfect versions of ourselves. And that's where the judge comes in sometimes, you know, yeah. we're, we're judging our lack of perfection at these things. We're just, you know, if we can be curious and just slowly progress and slowly get a little bit better at each of these things, uh, overall, the cumulative result is really significant in terms of our own thriving. And our own yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this uh, the kind of mindset of curiosity going in with an open mind of and curiosity rather than judgmental. Um, Jennifer, absolutely loved chatting to you today. Is there anything else that we haven't really touched on that you think maybe people would be interested in hearing about? No, if it just if, if anybody wants to reach out or has any any questions or wants any support in, in, in what, you know, what's coming down the tracks as well in terms of remote and, and hybrid, really happy to, to have conversations with anyone. Um, my email is is info at trainremote.ie. You'll find me on LinkedIn um, at trainremote on Twitter. Um, so yeah, happy to connect in on, on anything we've discussed or anything else that's come up. Brilliant. Thank you so much for that. The question I ask everyone who comes on the podcast, what makes you happier at work? Doing what I what I love. I mean, is, is, is probably a very cliche answer. <laughs> but that's, that's it, you know, um, and, and, and having an opportunity to do with something that can positively impact other people's lives potentially is, is something that, that which brings me a lot of satisfaction in my, in my work. So. Brilliant. Love that. I absolutely loved our conversation. We probably went if, down a few different avenues all at the same time. But I like for me, I just think it was so, so beneficial and some really practical things that people can take away from that. So really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Jennifer. Thanks, Eve. I really enjoyed it. So thanks for having me. What an interesting conversation with Jennifer Dowling and I will remind you or invite you again to share your thoughts on social media, especially I'll be hanging out over on LinkedIn if you want to connect with me there, if you want to share your thoughts. And I would love to know if you learned anything about yourself today during that conversation, maybe you learned something about a team member. I would love to know what you think and will you do something differently as a result of listening to the podcast as well. Now, just to reflect on some of the key points that we made, we spoke initially about the individual differences and this is what makes us unique. And this is, I suppose, what's so exciting about the entire conversation is how different people are. And it's about understanding those differences Um, So one of the things we spoke about is this idea of autonomy and our perception of whether or not we can control time. So thinking about that from a remote working perspective and this lack of interaction with people as well. Another thing that is driven by this individual differences, some people enjoy the lack of interaction, whereas others really feel lacking in that sense of interaction with other people. And that can have an impact on our performance at work. And it's about having that level of self-awareness and noticing those things about ourselves. Continuing that observation, did you enjoy something? Did you find that difficult? For 
example, when you're thinking about things like focusing on work or whether you're thinking about work-life balance or work-life harmony, as we've called it on, on the podcast in previous weeks as well, thinking about yourself, your personality, your values, your priorities, your efficacy. So that's how good you believe you are at doing something. It's the key to self-management, but then trusting people to self-manage. And trust is something really important as well. And it's this propensity to trust. So having that trust profile, how do you communicate that you trust people? How do you communicate that they have earned your trust as well? And how do we earn people's trust? So having a really clear understanding about that is important as well. Being invested in the outcome of what you're trying to achieve. So understanding the why behind what it is that you are trying to achieve. One of the questions posed was how do some people manage time so well? And it's this idea of the perceived control of time and its impact on well-being. So we spoke about optimism and I, you know, for a second my ears pricked up. I thought, well, I'm usually quite optimistic about things and oh, that's that must that must be really great for for time management, but actually sometimes as an as an optimist you can overestimate the amount of time that something is going to take. Um, it, and it's, it's about bringing back it to temporal awareness. So estimating how long it takes things to do. How do we increase our temporal awareness then? That is creating a feedback loop. So that's estimating in advance how long something is going to take and then reflecting afterwards how long it actually took to complete. We spoke about how emotions impact our decision-making perception. So that means that if something is weighing quite heavily on your mind, so if it's taking up a lot of headspace for you, then the perception is that it's going to take a lot longer. And when in fact, you know, and we use this example that you, in your mind, it's something that might take four hours to do. But in reality, when you go and sit down to do it, maybe it only takes 15 minutes or 30 minutes. We spoke about as well from a manager's perspective, really focusing on the output as the performance. So it's not about measuring the amount of time that people spend doing something, but it's about putting the output or the outcomes as a measure of performance. Clarifying expectations, individually assessing people's time and, and their ability and whether or not is real, it's realistic. Building trust then through co-creation, communication and being consistent as well, because trust can be undermined if there is no consistency. Try to avoid people pleasing. And as a manager, then recognizing that people do have those individual differences. So be there to coach and support people as well. When we say things like I'm a terrible time manager, that can reinforce the belief that we are a terrible time manager and it can creep into not just work, but in other areas of our life as well. So thinking about what messages you're giving to yourself and trying to flip the script on those as well so that you build up your own self-efficacy of it. We spoke about having this reflective practice as well. So taking a stimulus and a response and taking time to observe. So take the space, observe ourselves, notice, inform without judgment. We spoke about having triggers as well. So the example that Jennifer used was having a battery on the desk. So that's like a physical trigger, having that on your desk as a reminder to think about what, how are your energy levels at the moment? It's all about progress, not perfection as well. So again, this idea of we're not here to judge ourselves. It's about making progress, but also going into the observation with a mind of curiosity, like what happened there or what could I do differently tomorrow? So I really, really liked that approach as well. Um, and I can't recommend enough this idea of the reflective practice. So depending on how often you need to do it, maybe take it as a daily practice or at the end of a week, but really thinking about what worked well, what worked not so well, or as Jennifer, the example she used was what gave me energy today and what depleted my energy. And it really goes back into this idea of understanding ourselves and building our own sense of self-awareness. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Happier at Work podcast. I'm delighted to have you here. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love if you could rate or review the podcast or share it with a friend. 
you'll find me on the website happieratwork.ie.